Greetings, one and all. You're listening to Make It Soon, the podcast where science fiction meets reality. Now, this is an unusual little foreword from me. Hello. Hi there. I'm Marcus. If you've listened to the other episodes, you'll know I'm the host of the show. I'm a best-selling sci-fi author and I write series like Convulsive, People of Change, Finality. You know the stuff. Oh, you've read them all? Well, that's jolly good of you. Barkeep, another round. And now, why the rogue monologue at the start of this week's episode? I have two pieces of podcast news. First up, this episode comes with a bonus interview. Ooh. Spoilers, this week is all about tricorders and holy smokes, there's a medtech company who have achieved a working prototype. How insane is that? Now, I was lucky enough to catch up with the CEO of the company, Basil Leaf Technologies, who are making this real-life tricorder. So I got a full inside scoop on what is literally the pioneering edge of a science fiction invention that's becoming a reality. My interview with Neil will be dropped as a bonus episode at the end of this series, so stay tuned. Now, I did say I have two pieces of news. Okay, the second one's more of a confession. I'll level with you. This episode was actually the pilot, and I've totally smuggled it into the middle of the series. Why? Well, as you'd expect with a pilot, there are a couple of audio hiccups and some style things that I was figuring out. You'll see what I mean in a minute. I figured the best way to deal with the episode's blemishes was to hold my hands up, be up front with you, and bury it in the middle of the series. All right, jokes aside, this episode is definitely worth a listen. It's got some great interview moments and heaps of interesting case studies. My mic's a little fuzzy here and there, and I'm more timid than usual, but the topic and content is still super cool. Think of this episode as the hosting equivalent of a before and after photo, like the ones you get with a fad diet. Well, this is the before photo. So, you know, enjoy. Oh, and one last thing. I should have picked up my guests more in the pilot intro because they're both super accomplished, but I didn't know how to structure intros back then. So without further ado, Dr. Christopher Powell is a research extraordinaire in the world of molecular biology. He's made legit discoveries of new proteins and parts of the human cell, and his work has been read and cited thousands of times worldwide. Our equally awesome co-host this week is Kimberly Jarvis. She's a super talented actress who's done a bunch of incredible work on stage. She also has a side hustle as an up-and-coming folk singer, and I fully expect to see her headlining Celtic Connections when gigs reopen. All right, guys. So, without further ado, on with the show. Welcome to Make It Soon. The podcast where science fiction meets reality. Each week, we'll bring you a sensational sci-fi invention and showcase the number one nerds making it come true. Coming up in this week's show. The X-Rise challenge teams to develop a diagnostic device by, by Star Trek. What if you could get Munchausen's by tricorder? The big advantage of that region of the electromagnetic spectrum is that they are non-ionizing. And now, your host, Marcus Martin. Hey folks, I'm Marcus Martin, author of the science fiction series Convulsive, and you're listening to Make It Soon, the podcast where science fiction meets reality. In this series, we'll be looking at some of the most iconic inventions from the sci-fi realm and meeting some of the awesome minds making them happen. Helping me navigate the alien-infested waters between fact and fiction this week are two of my dearest friends and fellow nerds. Hailing from the world of science, we have Dr. Christopher Powell, biochemist extraordinaire from the University of Cambridge's world-renowned Laboratory of Molecular Biology. According to the website, Chris, your department has churned out 12 Nobel Prizes. That's amazing. I was just wondering how many of those are yours. Only nine. Only nine. Yeah, sorry about that. Nine is a very strong start. <laughs> Beaming in from the world of fiction, 
we have writer, actor, and general banter merchant, Kimberly Jarvis. Hello, Kim. Hi, what an introduction. Well, you're very welcome. Um, she recently co-starred in the sellout show Bobby and Amy, which won the 2019 Fringe First Award before being transferred to an acclaimed run in London. And today, dear listener, she will be playing you as we leap between past, present, and future to experience this week's amazing sci-fi invention, the Tricorder. Ooh, this is this is where you guys go ooh. ooh. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just so natural. All right, guys. So, open quiz. What does tricorder stand for and why? Something like triple, triple recorder. Is that what it's a, a sort of portmanteau of? Honestly, that just sounds like a really crap Renaissance orchestra, doesn't it? It's just three, three lads in tights with very bad prototype flutes. <laughs> it stands for tri-function recorder. So you weren't, you weren't really miles off, Chris. Oh, that's, that's close. Good. That's close. But I'm still I'm still confused by the the try because it, in the show it seems to be a, do a lot more than three things. Yeah, and it, I mean it's not like you could understand it if it was like T R Y. If it's like oh come on, come on, give yeah. it go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fairly tall order what they're asking it to do. But uh, that's actually a very pertinent question because my next quiz question, which I'm going to pitch to Kim, is what are a tricorder's primary three functions that give it its name? A great question. I would have to go with. <laughs> <laughs> Scanning. Yeah, love it. Um, assimilating information and uh, analysis. I mean, when when you started with the scanning, I honestly thought the next thing you were going to say was going to be faxing. I really just chose some verbs. I actually think you're spot on with all of those. Oh, because I'm, I'm actually now looking at the answers, and I'm just like, well, sensing is scanning, isn't it? I mean, that's just a synonym. Like scanners yeah. didn't exist when they invented mm. the tricorder. Okay, so I guess you get a point for that. And then recording, well, well, that's assimilating information. And then analyzing is computing. So actually, you nailed it. You're three for three. Thank you, you kindly. So one of the earliest tricorders seen in Star Trek is on the USS Kelvin in the 2009 revival film. Have you guys both seen that? I think this is a really great time to let everyone know that my sci-fi knowledge is pretty limited. Honestly, Kim, I don't, on this podcast, I don't think there's ever a good time for that bit of information. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should be kept in the, in the darkest, deepest closet you have. Look, I think you can see it as me being a sort of, you know, brave new adventurer into this world. Yeah, like a plucky stowaway that, that you might see in Firefly. Exactly. That's what, well, you yeah. wouldn't see it because obviously you're um, a heathen. I do actually think I've seen that. That's, that's niche. Disney. Of all the sci-fi you watched, you chose to watch mm. the hipster mm -hmm. classic that got cancelled in its first season. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that film is a masterpiece. For anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, when this show's over, go and watch it straight away. But right now, skip the next 30 seconds because it's all going to be spoilers. So, for the scene, the USS Kelvin has responded to a distress call. They've been ambushed. Captain Kirk's dad is at the helm. Chris, do you know his name? Um, no. <laughs> what a it's like is he going to pull it out of the bag at the last minute or is he just going to take a, a long pause and then just say no okay well Captain Kirk's dad is Tiberius Kirk I would have also accepted the Silver Fox of Starfleet and Big Daddy Space Dilf ah, that's how I know him <laughs> oh, that, that was where I went wrong because you, you obviously yeah you know him from um, your Instagram 
DMs. So uh, Tiberius has ordered an urgent evacuation of the ship. It's a red alert moment. Everyone, get to the evac pods ASAP. But would you believe it? His wife's only about to go into labour. So this is one of the first times we actually see a tricorder in Star Trek. Um, by first, I mean in the Star Trek timeline, because um, so, this scene's taking place around 2230, so 200, 210 years from now. Who wants to hazard a guess at the size of this device, the size of the first depicted tricorder in Star Trek? I'm going to go with um, roughly the size of, of an A4 piece of paper. Ooh, interesting. Chris, what are you going to go for? I can't quite remember it from the film, but I'm guessing it's going to look like the style they had in the original series. So it's kind of like a little satchel that they, they wear with a little bulky 30 centimetre long piece. It's a briefcase size, which means you're both kind of in the ballpark again, actually. Chris with the apparel and uh, Kim okay. with the size. So it's got a lovely carry handle and presumably a notepad from a hotel conference room that they managed to smuggle <laughs> smuggle away. Do you think they are corporate training days at Starfleet? Chris, would you go on one of those? Definitely. Yeah, I'd be right on that. Mainly because can you imagine the number of free biscuits you could smuggle out with replicators? I mean, you're laughing. Um, anyway, so this, this briefcase tricorder is used to monitor Winona Kirk, obviously linchpin of the Star Trek anthology. Mm. Uh, she goes into labour, so during this attack scene, and that's our iconic hero, James T. Kirk, is born. Nothing says happy birthday like being attacked by a gigantic Romulan mining vessel. So if you fast forward to the year 2404, we've got Voyager's Endgame episode where Captain Janeway socks it to the Borg. Right, next question. What size do you think the tricorder shrank to between the year 2030 and 2404? Given that it started out as a briefcase, Kim, do you want to take a swing? I'm going to say that I think it's about the size of a hardback book. Okay, Chris, what, what do you reckon? I'd, I'd go for a little smaller, something like a, like a smartphone. Yeah, you bang on. It gets down to uh, a palm size, sort of like a smartphone. Uh, in between, a lot of them were like flip screens. So they, they sort of look like the, uh, the love child between a, a Game Boy Color and a, a clam. Pop designers made a wristband tricorder for the 1998 film Insurrection, but it's not clearly visible or used in the plot. What a sense oh. of satisfaction they must have got from their, yeah. from their roles. What's been looking at for what? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. It's, it's like the smartwatches in our world. Like literally, no one cares. <laughs> Even in the future, if you've got a fully functioning device in your pocket, there's no point spending three hundred dollars on a worse version just because it fits on your arm. <laughs> Very true. So, right in summary, a tricorder is a portable health scanner that can read the atmosphere, read your biometrics, make a prognosis, and curiously works as a dictaphone. Is there anything else you guys would have thrown in if you were designing the first tricorder? Would you upvote? Maybe a little Etch-a-Sketch, something like that, <laughs> just on the surface, just to pass the time. <laughs> to give you that real um, sort of GP's waiting room feel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they spend a lot of time on shuttles moving between planets and ships. You know, you've got to pass the time somehow. The Etch-a-Sketch on your tricorder. Brilliant. Kim, is there anything you would add? I mean, if, we, if we're going sort of in a more whimsical route, I, I would probably just say some wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely brilliant. So, so what you would add is you know? a hot coffee, you know, sort of mm -hmm. one of the old cures for any ailment. Yeah. You just have a tricorder that can, can take the edge off. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad to see we're upholding stereotypes between yeah. sort of the scientific and the acting community there. <laughs> always make sure always make sure you're a little bit tipsy. I, I feel like Bones was definitely 
you know, behind the yeah. scenes, he must have been necking a yeah. few. Yeah. He, 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 he largely because he almost shouted at everybody as his default prognosis. They're long days, those filming days. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, it's your moment to shine. Can you tell us about the X Prize? What it is? What's it got to do with tricorders? I absolutely can. So the X Prize was launched in 2012, or this particular tricorder X Prize was launched in 2012, and challenged teams to develop a consumer-focused mobile integrated diagnostic device, obviously inspired by Star Trek. Um, second place was awarded to Taiwan-based finalist Dynamical Biomarkers Group, and they developed a prototype which pairs diagnostic algorithms with analytical methodology. It's all done through a smartphone, so very of the moment, and very of the latest Star Trek device. But the top prize was won by Final Frontier Medical Devices, which is led by Pennsylvania-based brothers, Dr. Basil Harris and George Harris. Um, Dr. Basil is an emergency medicine physician and George Harris is a network engineer and they developed the Dexter. The Dexter is a device which can diagnose and interpret a defined set of 13 health conditions and it continuously monitors five vital health metrics. So it uses non-invasive sensors that are designed to collect data about vital signs, body chemistry and biological functions. This information is then synthesized into the device's diagnostic engine to make an assessment. So pretty fancy stuff. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Am I right in thinking they announced the winners in, was it 2017? So they had, they turned that around in five years. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So it says, I think, it, believe it took four years for them to make. And there's, I mean, obviously alongside the brothers, there is a larger team. But yeah, and they had access to FDA labs and they, there was sort of a whole experimental process for all of the teams. So these things all do work and function. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you've just been given access to the US FDA's labs for a side project? And it's like when you're going to pick up your lanyard on day one, they're like, can you sign in? What's your, what's your purpose of your trip? And you're like, uh, yeah, I'm designing the Star Trek tricorder because I'm a G. <laughs> it's like someone behind you is just like, yeah, I, I'm here to test like a hay fever tablet. You're like, get a wine. That, that doesn't come with a, with a Etch-a-Sketch built in. <laughs> or a hot toddy. Exactly. Which, incidentally, I'm pretty sure you shouldn't drink when you're taking antihistamines. That's not relevant. Kim, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the design specification was that it had to be under five pounds in weight, 2.2 kilograms. And I think they just achieved that, the winning, the winning design. That sort of briefcase territory in terms of weight and dimensions, would you be able to use that in the sort of sci-fi sense? Well, I think usability, yes. Portability, no. <laughs> It's sort of um, a component of your of your household, like like your your laptop that's set up. Sure, fine. Yeah. But if this has got to be sent to you, or you've got to return it somewhere, slightly trickier. Oh, see, that's really interesting. I would I would have probably gone in the in the other direction there because I think portable. Yeah, five kilograms. I can get my head around carrying that from A to B. I'm not sure mm. I could hold it up in the air for like to examine someone's entire body for a long time. I feel like if, if you gave your, your GP uh, a sort of a five kilogram weight and said, can you just check I'm okay? I think your appointment would be a lot shorter than normal. I think they'd, they'd, just, they'd just get a bit of arm cramp and they'd be like, ah, yeah, look, I've only made it down to your elbow, but you're, you're probably fine. Yeah, I, take, I take your point there. 
feels a bit like a Joe Wicks workout. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, exactly. We're either going to have really short appointments or we're going to have really swole doctors who are just kind of just absolutely <laughs> crashing out the rep every day. And they've just got just got yeah. one really dense arm. It's been like, you've been hitting the gym? No, no, no. Just using a prototype Dexter for yeah. nine hours a day. I was imagining that um, it could be placed on a surface. I wasn't imagining that someone would have to sort of hold it at arm's length in order for it to do its scanning. Ooh, okay. So when you say placed on a surface, what what surface are you picturing? Um, a kitchen table. A GP's desk, for example. Kim, I don't want to call your yeah. scientific qualifications in question, <laughs> but is it is the kitchen table the thing that's in cardiac arrest? Or is it the person lying on the floor next to it? And I'm just thinking if I had a medical scanner, again, not, not a doctor, not do we do have a doctor on the call who we might go to in a minute. But I'm just thinking my instinct probably wouldn't be to put a, uh, a defibrillator on the kitchen table. I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably use it on the human. Chris, well, what would you think? It is more effective when you use it on the human. That's, there was a study a few years ago. Well, look, you learn something new every day. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I, I mean, now I have serious questions about what your your visits to the doctor have been like to date. Has it? Has your doctor? Have you just sort of sat in the corner while your doctor sort of tapped their hand and asked asked a desk chair to cough? Like, <laughs> I mean, about as effective as that, I'd say. <laughs> it's good. You've lived to tell the tale. Yeah, so Chris, I'm interested in the key obstacles you think that the team had to overcome. I think the big sacrifice that they're having to make when you compare it to the science fiction tricorder is that they're limited to only things that they can figure out how you could come to a diagnosis without having to draw blood, for example, or something like that. So only things that we have methods where you can do a, a non-invasive procedure. This in my head was why I was referencing the sort of kitchen table or GP's desk that it could sit on. The idea that it, you could just point at someone, which I obviously realise is not based on science either, but I just wanted my logic to be clear. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, so you're, you're sort of thinking more of the webcam approach, Kim. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, actually, that brings me on to my next question. Chris, I've heard a lot of hype online about T-rays as being a potential wonder cure in terms of offering full body scan. Can you give us a quick overview as to what the hell they are and whether you think that's any mileage in that? Yep. So T-rays are part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So in the same way that we have X-rays, we also have T-rays. The problem with lots of areas of the electromagnetic spectrum like X-rays, although they're fantastic for what they do, they are ionizing radiation. So they're damaging to the human body. So you don't want people who aren't properly trained just faffing around with x-rays by their kitchen table. So th this is for the same reason that when your dentist, if they do like a, a scan of your mouth or something, they'll be like, right, we're going to x-ray your jaw. They always step outside of the room. Exactly. Because presumably repeated exposure to ionizing radiation can cause cancer and whatnot. Yeah. So if you go and you have one x-ray every few years, it's not going to affect you too much. But if you're the physician that's carrying that out and you're in, in the room, Room day in day out then you'll have the effects of that sorry you're saying the team behind the dexter invention thought it would be a bad idea to build a device that can diagnose cancer while at the same time giving you cancer <laughs> i think they they opted for that would be a, a counterproductive method i mean ultimately it's a closed loop isn't it that's sort of like the most efficient form of medicine <laughs> <laughs> i mean i suppose it's self-fulfilling make sure you're never short of patients Okay, so ionizing radiation is bad. Yeah. So we need to shift 
somewhere in the yeah. electromagnetic spectrum that doesn't have ionizing radiation. Yes. And that, is this where the T rays come in? So that's where the T rays come in. So for example, the T rays cover um, visible light, that portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. So the big advantage of that region of the electromagnetic spectrum is that they are non-ionizing, so they're safe to use. The disadvantage is that T rays can usually only penetrate the body somewhere between half a millimeter and a millimeter, somewhere in that sort of territory. From that, it's just like I mean, if you could neatly arrange all of your maladies literally on your skin, you wouldn't need a T rays. You could just to it and be like, that's my bone, it's on the outside. Exactly, yeah. So the applications are quite limited. Because- <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite limited. That's the most useless thing I've ever heard of in my life. Oh my God. There are, there are some applications. There are some applications where it's useful. Oh yeah, you said it's visible light. So I guess we can see there's that. Yay for T-rays. Well, the, for example, they have been they have been shown uh, to be useful for the diagnosis of melanomas. There are early stage melanomas because the malignancy is very near the surface of the skin. Then you can use applications using T-rays to have early diagnosis for melanomas. I just want to bring Kim in here to use the word malignancy in a sentence of her mm, own. Yeah, absolutely. Would be delighted to. Malignancy is a fantastic word. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Sorry, I just want to make sure that this, yeah. this show has balance at all times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, you were telling us about how utterly pointless T-rays are. I wouldn't go quite that far. They're just mostly. Oh, it, my God. Do you love it, them? Do you have shares in T-rays? What is this? We do have some limited applications for them, but they're not going to be, you know, diagnosing problems with your liver. Any day I was soon. expecting, um, we do have some limited shares in T-Rex. Well, that's based up my conflict of interest at the beginning. Of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually named T-Rays, but you, you just, you tried to let a T to throw the scent. Brilliant. The Make It Soon podcast is free. Much like you are free. Or at least, I hope you're free. Oh, God. If you're being held captive, call for the doctor, quick. If you're lucky, David Tennant will be with you in a flash. If you're unlucky, you'll get Christopher Eccleston, but whatever. Just hop in the TARDIS and get out of there. Phew. Oh. Now that we've busted you out of space prison, what to do with your newfound freedom? Why not support the best podcast in the Gamma Quadrant? Head to makeitsoon.com slash donate. This show is entirely funded by listeners, so the next season will be thanks to you. It's super quick to support. Just go to makeitsoon.com slash donate. Thanking you. Now back to the show. Okay, so it sounds like the devices that we've got at the moment, the tricorder that we've got at the moment, I think it's being used in a very different way to how they envisioned it in Star Trek. Because in the original series, you see that ultimately it's like a medic or a doctor who's holding a tricorder and then scanning someone with it. Sometimes, yeah, let's ignore the engineering ones for a minute. Whereas the X-Prize winner, their videos and the runners-up seems to be oriented around self-diagnosis. You know, you've got Mm. the users sort of sitting at home. Kim, you mentioned that it's like they've got a smartphone app for one of them. And ultimately, it's kind of like you're going through and answering the questions yourself. How would you, Kim, how would you feel if instead of going to your doctor, you were just sent a tricorder in the post and asked to self-diagnose? I think if it was efficient, there is definitely something there. 
and not having to go to the doctors, getting something in the post, being able to sort of test yourself sounds great. But I'm wondering whether it would sort of be a little bit like doing a Google search of your symptoms. Mm. Is it able to definitively tell you what you have or does it give you seven different options and just sort of induce a sort of more of your sort of hypochondria? <laughs> I was just going to say, how, how, would you, how would you possibly know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're scanning this thing over your body and it's sort of putting out these these readings and then you compare it against the list of what it might be and you're just like, okay, my choices are Klingon herpes or Vulcan athlete's foot and you're like, well... They're both pretty embarrassing, but I'm definitely going to go with the athlete's foot. So then you mistreat yourself for a year. <laughs> Sounds like this is coming from personal experience, Marcus. Just saying, Klingon herpes affects not just Klingons, and we should be okay with that. Now that's out there, <laughs> I would say that, that um, the other thing that you touched upon was the idea of treating something. And if this is just a mechanism in which you can diagnose yourself, that's great, but it doesn't tell you what you need to do in order to get better. So if you have this item posted to you, use it, diagnose yourself, send it back in the post, have to wait till it gets to your doctor and then go and visit your doctor in order for your doctor to tell you how to get better. Seems a little defunct. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to split hairs uh, on this particular scenario, but that does sound like quite an inefficient system. If they have sent you essentially a <laughs> smartphone app and you've correctly diagnosed yourself, what you're opting to do, Kim, is print out the readings, mail it to your doctor, and then go and visit them in person to say, did you get my letter? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> That, that doesn't sound like the future I want to live in. <laughs> I think I'd rather, rather misdiagnose myself. <laughs> Chris, this is, this is another angle that, that Star Trek doesn't really touch on in detail, in that it's drawing on a behind-the-scenes vast database, which is obviously only going to be as good as the sample data or its machine learning. And I just wondered, do you see any problems with that particular approach as the tricorder winners continue to develop the Dexter and, and its rivals? Yeah, I, th I think it is a real problem with machine learning approaches, not, not just for medicine, but for others as well, in that they're only going to be as good as the data that they're drawing from. And when their work starts, they have to have some sort of data sets that they are allowed to analyze. And there are problems with the fact that they might be provided with data sets that are skewed in some way, and then that skew is propagated throughout their learning. Yeah, totally. Can you give us an example of some of the skews that we see in current data sets? Well, so for example, in medicine at the moment, a big area with AI and machine learning is radiology. There are some people that say at the moment, if you're an up-and-coming sort of student and you, you're want to study medicine, avoid radiology because some people say it's a field that won't really exist for humans in the future. I don't fully agree with that. That's because you love tea, right? Exactly. So more and more radiology is being performed by AIs. And although it's, it's getting far, far better, in the early days of that, there was a very limited data set which they could be trained on. And they were also being trained on data sets that had been curated by human um I think I think it's just I think it's just humans. I think that's just the plural, mate. It's just an S. Oh, humans. 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 Yeah, yeah. Created um, by humans. And so any any biases that they might have would be instilled inside of that data set and then could be propagated by them. I mean, the advantage of ma machine learning is that you hope that in time they learn those patterns themselves and they're becoming less and less dependent on human input that they originated with. 
So you see this ultimately could be a critical weakness in the reliability of a tricorder that's on the commercial market in that it's trying to diagnose you accurately, but really it can only go by what we've encoded into the databases that it's using as a point of reference. But then I suppose, isn't that sort of exactly the same as any human biases that your regular doctor would have? Yes, human doctors at the moment make lots and lots of mistakes. They're not infallible. Well, particularly Kim's. I mean, did you hear about that business with the desk chair? Neither. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a big one. That was terrifying stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a little bit like AI and machine learning that's being used for self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. So there there is an argument that this technology isn't perfect, but it should be rolled out as long as it's better than the human alternative. So even if an AI that is the basis of a tricorder still makes mistakes, then as long as it makes fewer mistakes than than a human, then we're good to go. The, the only difficulty that other areas are having with that, like self-driving cars, is then there are issues around legal responsibility and, and things like that. Because if a if a tricorder misdiagnoses someone or misses a diagnosis, then who, who technically is to blame? If you, if you uh, buy one of these tricorders online, then the waivers you'd have to sign before you could ever even scan yourself, it'll be like, I fully agree that whatever conclusions I come to are entirely my own fault. And ultimately, I'm signing my own death warrant here. If this thing is drawing on a live database, right? So your tricorder, it scans you. Let's take the current coronavirus nightmare. Let's say the first the first patient presents in Wuhan and the doctor scans them with a tricorder and the tricorder's like, what the hell is this? This is, this is not good news. And obviously it draws a blank in the current database because we haven't seen that particular mutation before. So then uh-huh. it can say, it can raise a red flag. Now that seems really great in the context of a global pandemic, but then if you maybe have offset that against privacy concerns where people might not want all of their diagnostic data being shared automatically, how do you think we handle that going forward? Should we be just accepting that these devices have the right to report anything we put into them? And then would that put people off actually using them in their own homes? I think there are a huge number of new challenges that are going to come out of this around data privacy and, and security. All of these devices, like you say, are going to have to pull from massive data sets in order to do their training and to do their validation. And all of that data is going to be susceptible to being hacked and there is a huge amount of personal private information that could be could be vulnerable in that so i think that's going to be a whole other aspect of it figuring out a way in which all of this could be done and all of this data could be shared between the device and large servers that hold all of this data without it being intercepted yeah absolutely i mean the potential for blackmail there is pretty huge yeah. unless we get to a happy future scenario where people are just unashamed to be human and then blackmail is off the menu yay for that so maybe tricorders could liberate us from such things as shame maybe that's an additional setting we can get that comes with kim's toddy on the end phase two the enlightened state (laughs) (laughs) if you live in a country with a privatized healthcare system it's it's not something that you exactly want your health insurance providers to find out about you to know absolutely everything, send some data and find that you've got a bit of a heart murmur and then your premium skyrockets. Mm, that's interesting because at the moment we have a sort of constructive ambiguity where you're only required to declare what you know and what you can reasonably mm. be expected to know. And if they can start to do preventative measures where they can detect things really early on and they're like, oh boy, this person's a risk. Yep. Maybe they won't take you on. So I suppose you need pretty, pretty hefty legislation to balance that out and make it illegal. So there's an app called Clue. It's for women and you log your throughout your cycle symptoms how you're feeling and it gives predictions based on the data that you've given it in past months of how you're going to feel the next month at on on certain days but it also is an example of people very freely and happily giving Mm. their data 
you know, it, it is on your phone, it is in an app, and it feels less, I guess, less threatening. <laughs> You've chosen it actively. So here's an interesting angle then. Presume you're not paying for that app no, right I'm now. Not. You're giving away your data, some information about you in exchange for free service. And I wonder to what extent that will become true of devices like the Tricorder, where you're giving away health information about yourself and that will ultimately be for sale, you know, so people can monetize what they know about you in various guises. And, you know, is that going to be the next version of personalized ads where actually they, they do your health readings and then they're like, oh, you need this low cholesterol butter. And no, no, no. That, I mean, that's not even an option for you, man. This is a fact. Like, buy it or you'll die. And then they can show you a graph of your own death spike yeah. that's on its way. And then you can see that if you eat that butter, you'll get another five minutes on earth targeted ads resulting from the tricorder is full dystopia that is like dystopia film type territory i, I feel like it's a logical uh extrapolation isn't it, of the tricorder because really what what you see in star trek is the front end of its use it's only shown in the emergency context you're not seeing the back end use of the database on which it's predicated and it's very yeah. easy to forget that Star Trek is the ultimate deep state in that there's one lovely benevolent seeming federation that rules the world, but ultimately <laughs> has information on everyone. There's no real discussion of privacy in that world. Yeah. And when we're trying to make that sort of technology a reality, suddenly it comes into conflict with our own values. Maybe actually we don't want to try call it deep state. And I do think it's interesting that like in all a Star Trek, I can't think of a single occasion where you've just seen someone sat in their own quarters just checking themselves with a tricorder. It never oh, happens. That's, that's it's not like something that they... on prime time for families. I, I, I regret bringing you on this show. That's not appropriate. <laughs> now we know the first thing you'd do with your tricorder is go to your quarters and check yourself. <laughs> really, really now makes you wonder about all of those uh, appendages that come in the Dexter model. <laughs> yeah. Oh, check all kinds of temperature. I was watching an episode of House the other day. Nothing like a good pandemic to make you dive back 20 years and start at season one with a passive with Q Laurie. And one of the episodes was on Munchausen's by proxy. Munchausen syndrome is where you mm. convince someone, well, I think it's where you convince yourself that you, you have a, an illness that you don't. And by proxy is when you can convince someone else. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, it's usually found in people who enjoy the attention given to them by by doctors and nurses and things like that. So they'll they'll make up health complaints in order to have more interactions with the healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, a simple yes or no would have sufficed, but we get it. You, you're hungry for attention because you've got Munchausen's. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not going to stigmatise you. <laughs> and I, I was just thinking, what if you could get Munchausen's by tricorder in the future, right? So like, yeah. you know, you've grown up in a family home, your parents scans you and they're like, oh, baby, you can never leave the house. That hasn't essentially happened. Have you heard of the story of Gypsy Rose Blanche? I think that's her name. Whoa, let's hear it now. And I would just like to put in a big caveat that all of Kim's opinions are her own and are not representative of the show and I don't want to be sued by who she's about to name. Um, so there, there was a, a young girl who is now imprisoned who's called Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mother, as the story goes, it may or may not be true, Brilliant. gave her much housings by proxy but essentially for financial gain. And as Gypsy grew up, her mother would claim that she was a lot younger than she, than she was, shaved her head to make her seem as if she was going through cancer treatment. And she had a ventilator and, um, and all sorts of sort of medication that she was put on. And Gypsy was essentially sort of imprisoned in her own home by her mother and became and ended up murdering her mother. Whoa. Oh, wow. A delightful interlude. Yeah, gosh. Okay, wow. Well, that, that's been a, a, a sobering little detail. Thank that's you. That's what I'm here for. I wanted to be light. <laughs>
I would recommend the documentaries and the film. Great watching. Here's one for lighting the mood. We'll go to Chris first. So I, I'm thinking, when tricorders will first come out, on the commercial market, there'll be a lot of, a lot of excitement, a lot of gimmick, right? Like, you remember when Satnavs first came out, you could pay for the package and you could get, like, Jeremy Clarkson telling you how to get to Aberystwyth. Who do you think would make the best celebrity tricorder voice? I, I think... I think people would want to have voices that remind them of the, the origins of it. So someone like Bones and have that as the voice of the tricorder. You've got Munchausen's man, Munchausen's. <laughs> exactly. Is that, is that the experience you're going for? Because I can offer that very cheaply. I think you've got a new job there. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay. So, so Chris, you would go for the yeah. uh, original sort of Star Trek roots to feel that sense of comfort. Kim, would, what would you go for? I wouldn't mind Dame Judi Dench. I feel like I've been safe hands, you know? She could just, if it was bad news, Judy would be there. I think we can all get on board with that, particularly if she plays it in her sort of like Queen Elizabeth role. Fantastic. Or maybe maybe she could play the stern sort of M, you know, when she's in the Bond film. She'd be like, together 007, you don't have typhoid. Well, maybe that could be an extra function. You could choose which Judy Dench you wanted. Yeah, and which typhoid. I mean, the, the, the world is of possibilities. I think I would go for the, the ticking clock. You know, do you remember the old, this was like before mobiles, you could dial one, two, three on a British phone landline and get taken through to the ticking clock, which would be like in 15 seconds, the time will be a quarter past one <laughs> yeah. and nine minutes. You know, I'd, I'd quite like that because it'd be sort of like, you know, in five seconds, the time will be, <laughs> you've got swine flu. You'd be like, okay, thanks, ticking clock. And then, you know, you, you dial it in tomorrow. I mean, that thing was a rip-off. You'd be like, oh, my God. It, it was it was genuine treat in our house. It was like, Mama, I, I want to I wanna know the time. Yeah. She's like, well, look at the clock on the wall. And it's like, no, I want to hear the funny British man say it. She's like, that costs a pound. Lovely. I was allowed to do it like once a year. Okay, so it, it looks a lot like, so in, in real life, we're pivoting towards preventative care more and more, namely targeting things like obesity, type 2 with diabetes. And I feel like a, a tricorder is a fantastic opportunity to get ahead of that. As Chris was saying, it could have potentials on like health insurance where people are picking up your likely deficiencies early. But I, I think if you were going with that angle and you, you had a scanner that could non-invasively figure out what's wrong with people, would you invest in lots of multiple devices and make the mass market available? Or would you in, like, add them as like sort of big airport security scanners at the entrances to all public transport? And if everyone's like ID chipped, you could walk through one of those little door frame type things. And then just on, the, on your way to work, you know, if you just get in the tube or something in the morning, or if you get in the train, you go, go through this little scanner and then it updates your app. And it's like, oh, just, just a heads up. You've got uh, a dicky tummy and you'll be dead by the end of the day. And then you'll be like, oh, that sounds really bad because uh, I've, you know, I've got plans tonight. And then you could, you could get it checked out. Would you guys be comfortable with a world where the tricorders are built into door frames in all public buildings and you're constantly being monitored? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really straightforward answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but why not? I don't think I want a constant update on my health. A live feed on your own moral demise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sounds exhausting. Not moral, sorry, mortal. No moral as well, let's be honest. Maybe they'll go hand in hand. Yeah. You'll be like, well, I'm on my way out. Might as well have a bit of fun. <laughs> that hot toddy really set us on a downward slope. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have had it at the start of the show. That was the problem. I also think it depends on, on where you live and what your lifestyle is. Because if you are someone who commutes and is taking multiple trains and 
you're going into an office building, then that's potentially five updates of your health status before you've even really begun your day. Whereas if you work from home, not a one. No, that's very true. Loneliness, one of the biggest killers. And it literally would be if diagnostic tools were restricted to door frames in the underground network. So you're right. I, I, I hear you. And I withdraw my planning application, Kim. You've, you've put some very good holes in it. And I no longer think it's the panacea that it once was. Good. I'm glad my work here is done. Unless, unless we put in people's fridge doors, because <laughs> from my short experience working exclusively from home, courtesy of the uh, lockdown, is that uh, I'm through that thing like nobody's business. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Try to do the entrance with that. Oh my god, my health stats would be pinpoint precise. <laughs> Though I think there would be, I mean, with the frequency of opening the fridge door as it is currently for I think most of the nation, I think you would just become immune to the judgment. The call of the fridge is, is stronger. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'd just end up, ah, shut up. I don't care if I'm dying of a beast too. There'd have to be some sort of like some flashing orange siren and a, and a metal shutter that comes down in front of all the good stuff when your blood sugar is sort of like starting <laughs> to nudge in a negative direction and be like, no, no, come on now. You're, you're starting to become resistant to your own insulin. So we're, we're hiding the cookies for your own good. You'd be like, no, I'm in prison. Chris, do you want to give us a quick summary on what you think is amazing about where we've got to with tricorders, but also how many years you think it'll be before we get the full thing? I think the winner of that X Prize is definitely very impressive, and it's nice to try and consolidate all these things together. But the big shortcoming is the fact that it's not it's not this one device fits all where you can just get it out and you can diagnose anything. So if you look at that Dexter device, for example, it's effectively one device that is the user interface, and then it has lots and lots of attachments that come with it. And you've got this sort of suitcase full of paraphernalia. So <clears> for some of the tests, it requires a breathalyzer. So there's a little breathalyzer attachment you plug in and you breathe into it. It's very much like the Mr. Potato Head of the medical world, isn't it? In that it's a sort of, you've yeah. got a central core module and then you can just append it with, with some novelty eyebrows uh, and a big moustache if you want to take someone's temperature. What a reference point. I've not thought about Mr. Potato Head and I'm going to say about 15 years. <laughs> That's insane because there have definitely been two new Toy Story films in that time. You monster, what have you been doing with yeah. your life? I'm sorry. What would be uh, a stranger's take on that <laughs> news. I obviously support your presence uh, as a friend. Kim, would you think it's fair to say that the winning Dexter design from the XPRIZE could be considered the first tricorder on man's timeline of tricorders. Um, would I say that? Could a Fitbit potentially qualify? It's still recording somewhat your body function. That's really interesting. You know what? You've just said the word Fitbit and I immediately felt judged. I was like, no, I've not, I've not done many steps today. Thanks for being <laughs> up, Kim. Wow. Now I just feel terrible about myself. <laughs> I suppose a tricorder that can really drill down into how little you're doing. That would actually make you feel awful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so much judgment. <laughs> This show is made possible by the generosity of listeners like your good self. This show is entirely self-made. Help us bring the next season fresh to your ears at Maximum Warp. Just head to makeitsoon.com slash donate. It literally only takes a moment to donate and it makes such a big difference. If you believe that this show deserves a future, makeitsoon.com slash donate. Help me to bring you more amazing sci-fi content. Thanks so much. I truly appreciate it and I couldn't do it without you.
Now, where were we? Presumably something deeply weird. Let's find out. So to continue that, I think, Chris, earlier you were talking about the um, comparison with cars and with, with sort of self-driving cars and that AI. Um, but you can mm. also, following the, uh, the theme of cars, I think get apps, like insurance apps, where they monitor how you're driving and that affects your insurance. And so in a yeah. way, targeted yeah. ads <laughs> from a medical tricorder or, or insurance, medical insurance based on, on a tricorder isn't too far off that. We're not that far away from the sort of dystopia you were mentioning, Marcus. Mm. Well, that's hard to me to know. Thank you, Kim. Um, I think I'll sleep easy tonight. Um, <laughs> only because I bought that butter. Only because you bought that butter. I had one more stat that, like, um, really that, should have gone in the name of corner. That's all we've got time really for. I want to know. I want to know. Music. Really? <laughs> Give the people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> So I was surprised by this, right? I was reading this survey that was done by Accenture, and in it they were asking people about AI related to healthcare. One of the questions was, would you be willing to entirely trust an AI nurse or doctor with both the diagnosis and the treatment decision for you? And the result was 50%. 50% said yes. What? I, I was thought that was surprisingly high. That's really high. That's really interesting. What yeah. are they basing that on? Yeah, one of the reasons I'm so surprised by it is because it's a technology that's not really out there at the moment. So it's a complete unknown, and and it's amazing that people are that fifty percent of people are that willing to, to to go on board with something that's. I mean, we've not even really touched the surface of yet. Pretty crazy. I, I mean, that's insane, right? You could ultimately just you could take a magic eight ball and dress it up as like some new Apple device. So it's got like a beautiful chrome finish and a fat logo and people would be like yeah seems legit be like yeah it's, it's a magic eight ball <laughs> there were 29 percent of the respondents who said that they wouldn't use those ai tools but the reason that they gave was specifically because they wanted to see a doctor in person so it's more about that like actual in-person relationship and seeing another human and talking to them rather than the actual information they're giving to you it's about seeing an individual yeah i think that's absolutely huge and and definitely a factor that um we didn't really touch upon too much earlier that a, a lot of people do just go to the doctor in order to see the doctor and have that interaction and have that reassurance that can come from human yeah, to human no, contact Kim, we're not talking about your private life can you keep it on topic we'll talk about tricorders, <laughs> what people want from medical <laughs> but that's actually really interesting because it takes us full circle back to Star Trek, which is really weird because in Star Trek, they've at Voyager, they solve that problem because the doctor himself is a hologram, right? He's not a human, he's, but they've recognized yeah. that, yeah. Uh, you know, in TNG, you have data who is an Android, but in Voyager, they've recognized that they actually want the most human like representation uh, of themselves when they're receiving medical diagnostics because mm -hmm. they could have envisaged just a, you know, a standard faceless Android or just a, a voiceover. So I wonder if that will be the middle ground that we go to. We'll actually persist with AI, but we'll make it appear more human. Or we'll just get stranded scary, yeah. in this horrible, uncanny valley middle ground where we're all just deeply unsettled, but we need the information. Unfortunately, I think that does seem more likely. <laughs> but if we've learned anything, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's that, that Star Trek smashed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
as of a week ago, learned that Star Trek exists, apparently. <laughs> But yes, you're right. It has indeed flashed it. Um, and I do urge you and indeed anyone else who has not, not seen Star Trek to go back and just watch it all and enjoy the camp sci-fi mastery that it is. But it's, it's very pathetic in so many ways. Um, so many ways. Know. I mean, I said at the beginning this would be a brave new adventure and, and that it has turned out to be for me. Sorry, who did that? Me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was a Star Trek slogan. It's like, which series is that from? We're like, no, 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 that's homegrown. <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm really, I'm really aware of my Star Trek limitations. <laughs> yeah, but your slogan. I'm not attempting to quote anyone. Um, wow, what was that? A brave new adventure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Cool. It kind of. It yeah. just reminds me of this uh-huh. book title where you just at the last second avoided infringement. Just <laughs> a masterful dodge. <laughs> Do you have any more singular stats that you wanted to trot out or has your tour of the insurance industry come to a close? All I was thinking, I think this should be, this is the little perk for the Patreon supporters. You get the nice little, little stats that weren't good enough for the actual recording. And you also get that great soundbite, Chris, <laughs> saying nice little stats. <laughs> <laughs> We've got got heaps of stuff for you this week. We've got a new adventure and nice little stats. Um, I mean, I feel like that could become a section of its own. Oh, definitely. In in your podcast, Marcus. Nice little stats. That's a really good shout. Could you save me some editing time right now? And I'm just going to say, in this week's episode, we've got, and then Kim, you'll say, a brave new adventure. And then Chris, you say some nice little stats. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. In this podcast, we've got... A brave new adventure. And... And nice little stats. Oh! Oh, I can't believe you ruined that. more digital detritus for me to wade through later I, i'm sure you can you know intertwine and and, and just detangle those two little uh, uh can two words can don't want to but can <laughs> yeah yeah sure you can oh, we can do a clean sure take i believe yeah. that okay okay we're, we're yeah. a clean take. let's go for gold Sorry, I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this time I'm not going to say the word and. Chris, you're just going to leap in, okay? As as you did last time. Do you want want me to say? Do you want me to say? Chris, I've just told you I'm not going to say and. So it would be grammatically foolhardy for you to omit it on this occasion. Then we'll be in a worse situation. But maybe, but maybe you're gonna you're gonna record a separate little and and edit it. Let's try that afterwards. And. No, I didn't care for it. <laughs> but thanks, thanks again. Coming up in this show, we've got a brave new adventure and nice little stats. Oh, guys, champagne quality, gold dust, gold dust, so good. Have you guys got anything exciting planned for the rest of the day? 
Um, I will be teaching an A-level student mm. and um, hopefully also recording a folk song. Great, Kevin, you're a folk singer. I dabble <laughs> in my free time. That's amazing. I asked you earlier, how should I introduce you? And you're like, yeah, well, my Twitter profile says I'm a writer, actor, and crisp enthusiast instead of <laughs> folk musician, which I'm going to be honest, I think is more of a claim. <laughs> No, no, really love crisps. <laughs> Look, my emotional tie to each is just a strong. Sorry, so okay, that was lovely. That just reminded me uh, when I was searching for how to uh, introduce you, I came across the Mandy profile. Oh God! Yep. <laughs> I wanted to go through the list of accents you claim you can do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would have been really, really a good, a good oh, move for me. Oh, we've got time. We've got, we've got a minute for this. Uh, I just want to quickly hear maybe... Oh yeah. I don't know. I Honestly, I have no idea what's on No, no that's okay. Great. So maybe you could just kick us off with... Uh, you could do an impression of a tricorder, uh, and I would like it in the Pockney accent, please. So if you could just give Chris, oh, if you give Chris his diagnosis, and he's uh, Pockney. Why do you have to start with that? Well, it's the first one. This is very <laughs> oh no! Are you honestly? You should. I'm dying right now. Seriously, the second one is English, which I don't think that's a very specific accent. Did I actually put that yep, on? You go, your accents go. Cockney, such an accent. English, and then standard. It must be English RP. No, no, no. You must say English RP. No, no, no. Don't worry. RP is four accents later in it on its own. Okay, here we go. Okay. You're live in three, two, one. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> something like <laughs> just you know something about up up the apples and pears. <laughs> I think you skipped ahead to English standard there. I don't think that was Cockney at all. Uh, <laughs> just with a bit of Cockney Brian. Come on, come on. Like surely, surely, um, was it a uh, you know a spoonful of sugar? Mary, they covered that, eh? That's Cockney. That's Cockney medical diagnostics right there. Oh, it is, isn't it? Also, I guess Oliver, Oliver Twist. Love it. <laughs> Just harken back to yeah. the old Dickensian name. Um, what, a spoonful of sugar? Yeah, I'd like you to just tell Chris in a Cockney accent as a tricorder that a spoonful of sugar mm. will um, cure his bout. Can I do it as an American doing a Cockney accent? If that is going to protect some of your self-esteem, sure. <laughs> <laughs> God, this is, I don't, this is devastating. Um, okay. <laughs> I can't, I honestly, I don't think I can do it. Oh, this, this audition's going very badly for you, Kimberly. <laughs> All of my ability is just, really is, is. It? it's just falling okay. through the floor. I'll do it in a Scottish accent, if you Okay, want. yeah, I would love it, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Okay, and... Uh, what am I telling him he's got? You could tell him he's, he's got a, a nasty case of measles because he didn't eat his bridge. All right, Chris, um, the wee problem we seem to be having here is that you seem to have a nasty case of the measles uh, due to not eating your porridge. <laughs> So, in the future, I would really just try to urge you to eat your porridge at all possible occasions. I feel very reassured. That's really good. I think, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were hoping to try some of the other settings on the tricorder's language. <laughs> I think I can see Geordie listed. Uh, I don't know, Chris, what, what's going on this time? What's hurting? I need to have my spleen removed. <laughs> Okay, here we go. So uh, the, the Geordie tricorder is going to uh, tell Chris the bad news. 
Why I pet? Well, it's got not good news, is it? <laughs> You're going to have to have your spleen removed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't know it was going to come today, but I think this marks the end of my career as an actor. That was uh, that was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. The uh, the uh, Oscar nomination. Okay, that's. Pure gold. Uh, Chris, how do you feel? Do you feel your tricord has reassured you? Yeah, I feel I feel like it would actually be the accent to go. You know how they put those sorts of accents on? Like when you call up sort of like your, your gas line or something <laughs> like that. They often put <clears throat> Geordie accents or Scousers on there or something like that. I think it would be a good move. It's very reassuring. What do you think would be the least reassuring accent to hear? Callie from the Valley? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Let's hear Callie from the Valley telling Chris some good news. Oh my god, this is so exciting. Like, oh my god, you, um, you actually have, like, a really great BMI. I am so excited for you about that. Because it means that you're, like, super fit, super healthy, and you're just living your best life. Chris, how do, how do you feel? I don't like that one. <laughs> She's not a goer. <laughs> I, I would also like to hear, I'm just scrolling down this uh, profile, uh, Kim, I'd love to hear your Southern American accent, please. So maybe maybe in the last one you could just tell Chris that he's been eating too much KFC and probably needs to do some exercise. Well, my, oh my, Christopher, you do like KFC, don't you? <laughs> I think you need to get your little ass to toddling down that street and do some exercise. You are putting on a pound out. There's no tomorrow. <laughs> you sweat like a whore church in this heat. <laughs> oh my god! All right, new favourite, new favourite. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think we've we've decided as a panel we will all be setting our tricorders to not just Southern American, but specifically Kim's Southern American. <laughs> I, I think we've alienated about as much of the English speaking world as possible for one week. Thank you for that, Kim. Yeah. Apologies to one and all. <laughs> no, that that was that was excellent. No, but I would, I would just flag that I think I wrote that profile around eight years ago. Well, so. <laughs> what, I, what I particularly like is your three-year acting course you did at Cambridge University. <laughs> An institution well known for not teaching acting. Well, they, they didn't need to teach you because you're such a natural. And they just, they just admitted you. They heard your Geordie accent. They were like, get her in here. She can teach the course. Get that girl in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The footlights are in need of an accent that good. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, I spent just about as much time acting as I did on, on my actual degree. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's reasonable. So I think we can say it's joint honours. <laughs> Start double first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we're gifting ourselves that degree. <laughs> Might as well go all in. Boom! That is almost it for our fresh-faced pilot episode of Make It Soon. But before we go, I've got two treats just for you. One anecdote you'll love, and my mum's going to hate. Sorry, mother! Plus some super exciting news. All right, then the exciting news first. Remember that award-winning invention we talked about in the pilot episode? You know, the medical startup called Basil Leaf Technologies, who invented this incredible thing called the Dexter. It's the handheld device that can literally diagnose you just by being waved over your body, you know, like they do in Star Trek. It is crazy that they've achieved this in our lifetime. I mean, it is literally a working prototype tricorder. Man, I would love to know what is going on in the minds of those inventors. 
Uh, great news, everyone. You will never guess who I interviewed for the podcast. Only Neil Singer, the CEO of Basil Leaf Technologies, aka the very company who invented the Dexter Tricorder. Subscribe to the Make It Soon podcast and listen through to the end of the season, where you can hear my interview with Neil and a bunch of other amazing pioneers in a special bonus episode. It is such a treat. Honestly, I can't wait for you to hear it. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and are loving the first season of Make It Soon in general. It's obviously free to listen to, but it actually costs quite a bit of time and money to make. And I don't have a big network or production company behind the show. It's just me and the brilliant nerds I coerce onto the airwaves for your entertainment. So if you can spare a few bucks, I'm fundraising for the next season. You can do a one-off donation or you can subscribe. And it's like an honesty box. It's totally down to you. But if you do enjoy the show and you want there to be future seasons, please head to makeitsoon.com donate. Your contribution will help me bring you more great sci-fi content. Thank you so much. Hey, speaking of thanks, huge thanks to my awesome guests on this episode, Dr. Chris Powell and the brilliant Kim Jarvis. I super appreciate you guys, especially for taking a leap of faith and helping me record the pilot. Kim, wherever you're listening right now, you were such a great sport in letting us rinse your accents at the end. What a great guest. Listeners, jokes aside, she's genuinely a super talented actor. If you're a casting agent, look her up. Phew, I think those are all the things I should have said during the actual pilot recording. At the time, I just sort of fizzled out awkwardly. You know, like an intern who accidentally walked into the boardroom and saw the directors having an orgy. Not that Chris, Kim and I were having an orgy. <laughs> I think you need more than three people for that. Which actually brings me on to the anecdote I promised you. I accidentally ended up at an orgy one time. True story. I turned up thinking it was a regular friendly get-together. It was certainly friendly. Oh boy. I mean, <laughs> goddamn, and I brought dips. Who brings dips to an orgy? Fun fact, that particular orgy was actually hosted by one of the guests who appears later in this season of Make It Soon. I'm not going to tell you who, though. I'll just plant that seed in your head so that you're forever guessing which of my wonderful nerds throws sex parties for other nerds. I know what you're thinking. Nerds go to sex parties? <laughs> yeah. How is that surprising? Orgies are inherently nerdy. I mean, they are the definition of organised fun. Not that I would know. I left when people started stripping off. Largely because my partner was with me and marched us right out of there. I didn't even have time to gather up my dibs. I reckon a few people at that orgy could have used a tricorder scan, if you know what I mean. Do tricorders even detect STDs? I would have loved to see that in an episode of The Next Generation. You know, like Dr. Crusher's scanning an injured crew member. Uh, Lieutenant Worf, I don't know how to put this. You've got the Klingon clap. Is there anyone else we should inform? Commander Data? Really? Worf, you are much more open-minded than I thought. That brings this pilot episode of Make It Soon to a close. Don't forget to share and like the show. And remember, you can support us at makeitsoon.com slash donate. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. Make It Soon.